I'm just going to recap those passages just a little bit here. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Did you catch that last line? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves this morning as we stand at the still the freshness and newness of this year is, am I living a life that pleases God? That's what we committed to doing last week, those of you who were here. We uh, just wiped our slate clean and agreed with God. We're going to start over with Him, anew and afresh. And so uh, this is the question. Am I living a life that pleases God? Am I living a life of faith? Now, here's the definition of faith. And it's kind of... Uh, a conundrum, either way, it goes around in circles, kind of. Faith is confidence or trust in a person or thing, or the observance of an obligation from loyalty or fidelity to a person, promise, engagement, or a belief not based on proof. Or it may refer to a particular system of religious belief such as in which uh, faith is confidence based on some degree of warrant. Now then, I want to simplify that a whole lot. Many people take Hebrews 11.1 1 as their definition of faith. But let's look at it again. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, that's really not a definition, if you think about it. <clears throat> it describes what faith does or what happens if we have faith. We're confident in what we hope for or expect. We have an assurance, even if we're not able to see the evidence or what we have put uh, our faith in. You see, that's the result or fruit of faith. It is a byproduct of faith, not a definition of faith. Now, let's face it. We all really know what God wants from us deep within our hearts. And we know what he has revealed to us through the Bible. Most of the time, when we have a moral choice to make, we know the answer. We know right from wrong. You knew it before you could even read the Bible. God placed that sense of right and wrong within your hearts. With Abraham, who is our example of faith, we believe God, we trust God, then we obey God, 
and he tells us to do something, uh, we do it. If he tells us not to do something, we don't do it. Now, Abraham uh, is a tremendous example that we should all follow. And uh, it's something that takes a while to really understand. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son to him. Now, that didn't make any sense intellectually at all or spiritually, or certainly not emotionally. In fact, it, uh, it even goes against, well, we didn't, he didn't have the Ten Commandments yet, so thou shalt not kill had not been codified yet. But we all know, and we know deep down, we shouldn't be killing people, you know? I mean, we know that. Abraham knew that it went against his grain and his own child. Not only that, this child is the one that God had promised that uh, uh, that Abraham was going to be blessed through. That was the conduit uh, Isaac was. And so uh, he was. uh, This didn't make sense intellectually or spiritually and certainly not emotionally, but Abraham believed God, it says, and he trusted him and he obeyed him. And he took his son up on the mountain. He bound him to the altar. He raised his knife and then the angel stopped him. At this point in the account, most people hearing this story start wondering, What was Abraham thinking? Well, we know what he was thinking because the Bible tells us exactly what he was thinking. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He had already resolved in his heart he was going to obey God. He was going to do what God told him to do. And so, Isaac was as good as dead. At that point in time, in his eyes, he was just in obedience, going to do what God told him to do. His reasoning, you see, included God's supernatural power. Now, a lot of people spend way too much time trying to explain away the supernatural power of God that's revealed in the Bible instead of just including it in their belief system. And that's one of the things that keeps them from really walking in faith. They they don't believe in a supernatural God. They don't believe in a God that can uh, uh, change the order of things to fit what's going on, that uh, can make a difference when it doesn't look like there is a difference. And yet all of us have experienced this in some way or another in our own lives as God has made a way when it didn't look like there was a way for us. 
over and over again, if you're honest with yourself, you've seen him do things in your life that you couldn't really have imagined he would do or could do. Uh, this past week, a friend of mine commented on the account of the Bible that of, of the loaves of fishes, loaves and fishes. And this is the one account I've discovered. It's, it's one of the few accounts that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And it's the same all the way up and down, not verbatim, but the story is the same. If you'll recall, uh, all these people were gathered there and it was time to, they were starting to get hungry. And uh, one of the disciples told them, Lord, we need to dismiss this gathering now so they could all go get something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. And it didn't look like there was any way for that to happen. And so he helped them along. He said, how many, how many fish and how much bread do we have? And so he, they, they gathered what, seven loaves at one time. There's, there's two, two accounts also. There's a, uh, it's not, and see, here's another thing. People want us to take the, the 5,000 and the 4,000 or what, the, the 7,000, 7, I think it was. Uh, they want to take those two accounts and say, well, really, there was just one account and they just uh, got it wrong when they put it in these different places. No, there were two accounts. And we know this because the Bible, Jesus himself tells us that these were two separate instances. And you see, we've even there begin to try to uh, uh, change the Bible up to fit what we think it ought to say based on our minds. There couldn't, he could have done that twice. And, uh, and what he did also winds up being misinterpreted. And I'll, I'll show you this, what happened with my friend. Uh, I shared something about one of the many differences uh, between communism and capitalism and something that I had posted. And one of my friends says, well, this reminds me of the story of the loaves and fishes and how everyone was shamed by the little boys sharing what he had. And so they started sharing too. And so that's not what the story says, is it? It's, there's nothing in there about people being shamed by that little boy. Or about Jesus saying, hey, look what this little guy did. And uh, then everybody said, oh, man. And so they start sharing what they had all hoarded up were keeping to themselves. That's not what the story's about at all. And you probably heard it interpreted that way. But you see, that's just it. That's an interpretation. And uh, not all interpretation by humans is of God. And so whenever your interpretation doesn't line up, with the word of God, you need to look at it again, because what you're doing is you're probably trying to explain away the supernatural power of God. And uh, so I just flat asked this lady. Uh, so you don't think that Jesus supernaturally multiplied the loaves and fishes? And her reply was, he very much could have done it, but it could just as easily, just as well, have been what I wrote. Now, that's somebody that's not really taking a very high view of Scripture, is it? It could be what I think instead of what he said. Now, that's stepping away from the factual things of the Bible. And so, uh, 
And this is just it. It doesn't matter what you think if it contradicts the Bible. You need to remember that the next time you're faced with something that is kind of challenging, that what you think doesn't matter at all if it doesn't line up with the Bible. And, and you know, this is where we see what's going on. These people do these, and they do that all the time with that particular story. They combine them into ones that it could, it was just one thing and they just changed it up and somebody just messed up and quoted it twice. And they do all that stuff to change things up. And yet Jesus sets the record straight. So hear this. I'm going to be reading from uh, Mark 8, 14 through 21. But this particular account is also found over in Matthew. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. They were, they were, they were, they were just trying to interpret what Jesus was trying to... Jesus was telling them something straight out. And they were trying to figure Jesus out. And he was telling it just the way it was. He said, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then he recounts, When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven loaves uh, for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? So that sets the record straight. Two different accounts, and it wasn't shaming people into sharing. That's not what it was about. It was about the supernatural power of Jesus. And what he's saying to them is, buddies, if I wanted bread, I'd just whip some up. I don't need to have uh, uh, all this other stuff going on that you're there scratching your head about. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. So uh, anyway, uh, you see, the faith that Abraham had, he believed God so much. He trusted God so much. And he trusted that God could keep his word no matter what. Even if he had to slay his son, he knew that God would raise his son back to life because he keeps his promises. And that's what the Bible tells us. You see, at the heart of faith is trusting God is always for you. Now, he may be putting you to a test just like he did Abraham. He may be 
trying to help you grow in your faith. He may be uh, trying to show you that you can put your life and the lives of all those around you that you love. You can put all of that in his hands and trust that he wants the best for you and he's going to help bring out the best for you and those that you love. He's always for you, no matter how things look. Now, do you understand why Abraham is an example of faith in the Bible? If you read about Abraham, you will see that he was a flawed man. He had faults. He had failings, but he also had great faith. And God was able to build a nation from that old man and his old wife. God was able to do the impossible because of faith. George Mueller was a fellow that built an orphanage in obedience to God, supported solely by prayer. He was never to ask for donations. He was just supposed to ask God. And God blessed his obedience because he never asked for money. He just prayed and trusted God. And here's an account of one of the things that happened that just shows that faith works whenever you're doing it, whenever you're doing things in obedience to God and trusting that he's going to keep his word. It says the children uh, are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. And then he thanked God for the food and they sat there and they waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. And within minutes, a baker knocked on the door and said, Mr. Mueller, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. And I got up and I baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. And soon there was a, another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and the milk was going to spoil before they could get the, the wagon repaired, the wheel fixed. And he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for 300 thirsty children. It's almost the loaves and fishes story, isn't it? True story in a more recent age. Do you know what hinders the hand of God at work in your life? A lack of faith. Even with Jesus, sometimes he was hindered by people's lack of faith. One day Jesus went to his hometown where everyone knew him and listened to this sad statement. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I wonder if Jesus is amazed at our lack of faith sometimes. I asked a question earlier 
Am I living a life that pleases God? Well, let me tell you, a life that pleases God, sometimes when you experience it, is really scary because it doesn't line up. But whenever you do trust in Him and do what you know He wants you to do, He makes a way. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through all the different accounts in our lives. When the Lord called me to become a preacher, I didn't even know what seminary was like. I thought it was like some sort of a, a, a convent or a... Uh, something along that line, you know, uh, a monastery or something. I, I could, I saw that some of our preachers, uh, when they showed up, they wore robes, and I thought maybe that was a holdover from their seminary days. And I just pictured up people uh, just going in there and praying a lot and wearing a robe, and maybe they rang a bell every now and then. Everybody fell down on their knees and prayed, and uh, I just had this. I had no idea. I was churched but unchurched. I just, I, I just went to church. That's all I did. And for a long time, I was doing that just to please my wife. But uh, because uh, she insisted that we go to church. And I'm so glad now that she did. But uh, then he called me to be a preacher. This Yahoo that at the beginning didn't even know that there was a God. And let me stop right there and tell you. If you have doubts that God is real, remember the first thing, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You've got to believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Believe that He is. That's where it starts. You can't have faith if you don't believe that there is a God. And then uh, I'll take that a step further and say, and believe that he is the God that's depicted in his word, the Bible. But uh, anyway, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so if you have had doubts that God isn't real, or you're afraid that maybe you've just been living a joke, that's the thing I did not want to do. If Christianity was just the product of, uh, of people, it was a joke, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I, I, I had all these spiritual things going on within me, and I couldn't just say, there is no God. And so I wanted to get it straight. And I saw that God spoke to people uh, all through the Bible. You see him letting people know uh, that what he, what, they, what he wants them to do. And so I prayed a prayer that in the fact in the past I've called it a dangerous prayer. But I'll tell you, it's the most rewarding prayer you can ever pray. I pray, God, if you're real, let me know. And then I waited and I watched. And all of a sudden the headlines in the papers became real. They lined up with everything I'd read in the Bible. All of a sudden, different people were coming into my life and different things were happening. And all of a sudden, I realized deep down, I had always believed that there was a God. I just didn't really want to come to that moment when I really accepted it, because when I accepted that, 
that meant there really was a hell and that hell was really hot. And the reason why I didn't know God's presence in my life was because I had been paying any attention to him and in my not paying any attention to him and, and listening to my friends and compromising the values that I'd had earlier. I had offended God many, many times. And there wasn't one way that I could take back one offense. No way I could pay for what uh, I had caused. No way I could take back any pain from harsh words spoken. No way that I could uh, undo those things that I'd done that were an affront to God Almighty. And I realized that the only thing that waited for me after death was hell. And there was nothing that I could do to undo one of those things. But then I remembered that the church said that Jesus did something on the cross. And all of a sudden, I realized I was separated from God by my sin. And I didn't know how to appropriate what he did on the cross. And so in desperation, I just said, Jesus, help me. And he was right there in the room. His presence just entered the room. And I was in the presence of pure, unadulterated love like I had never known before. And he let me know that night that he was for me, not against me, that my way or his way was the best way. And then he let me know that all those things that I was worried about barring me from heaven were already taken care of. He took care of him on the cross. It says, he that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what I did. He's the only way. He tells us, I am the way, not one of many ways. He says, I am the truth, not one of many truths which somehow start looking stupid to us now today as people try to live by their own truth and guys claim they're gals, all that stuff going on. And he said, I am the life. And I'll tell you what, as I received what he did for me on that cross, his Holy Spirit came and gave me a life like I had never known before. I'd lived a long and uh, I thought a happy life. But I hadn't really started living at that point in time. But whenever I received him, and how could I not receive one who loved me so much? And he made it clear that he was going to take care of my wife. That if uh, my, and he let me know he wanted me to be a minister. And to me, that was just something that uh, was just uh uh, oh, no, man, you know, preachers are sissies, they're wimps, guys can't make it in the real world, so they get off into something like that. And he made it clear, no, that's what I want you to do, Charles. Okay, I'm going to do it. And uh, he made it clear that he was going to take care of my wife, he was going to take care of my kids, no matter how little money I wound up making, that he was going to see us through that everything was going to be okay. And so it turns out that he had been preparing Sharon for this moment, probably before me. And so that whenever I thought I was going to be breaking some sad news to her, that we were going to be living our 
nice, healthy, wealthy life and going into poverty once more, uh, she was ready. He had already prepared her. And so we together set out like Abraham in faith and uh, started over from scratch for the second time in our married life. And God made a way over and over again when it seemed that there would be no way. And so I just want you to know that uh, uh, if you ask, if you're, if you're doubting his existence, ask him. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door is going to be open for you. But if you've had this doubt, what if God's not real? Just ask him about it. It might scare you to death how he lets you know, but you'll have no doubt after you do that, that he is real. And as you start to follow him, trust him and obey him, you will discover that his way is the best way, that uh, you'll, you can't have a worse one another way. He is the way, the truth, the life. So uh, a lack of faith and God's existence is the beginning of having a lack of faith. When tests come, do we pass them or do we lean on our own understanding and make our decisions based on what we want and what we think is the right thing to do when it goes contrary to we know what the Bible says. When we're faced with these situations where it's clear what God wants of us, but it goes against what makes us or, or what makes sense to us, what we think we should do, what we want to do, goes against our feelings when it is going to be counter to what everybody else that matters to you would do or say or would expect you to do. When you don't see how your needs can be met if you obey God, do you obey God or do you follow the way of unbelief? The way of faith is trusting, believing, and obeying. The way of unbelief is distrusting, discounting, doubting, and opting to do it your way and then hoping God will bless it. When put to the test, Abraham believed God. He didn't just believe in God. He believed God. He believed that God's way was the best way, no matter how circumstances looked and no matter how hopeless it, appear, it appeared that the outcome would be. He believed God. He acted in faith obeying God. And you know what? This pleased God exceedingly. Here's what I hope you will take away from with you from all that I've said this morning into this still fresh and new year. The next time you are faced with a choice of acting in faith or unbelief, doubting and opting to do it your way and then hoping God will bless it. 
I hope that you will see it as more than just a choice. It's a matter of worship. It's a matter of valuing God and His Word. It's a matter of saying, from the depth of your being, thou art worthy. You're worthy, and it's worth it to follow you. I hope you'll start seeing all those times as tests. Just like Peter and Jesus were walking along the shore, and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He told him what to do, and Peter did it even though he knew it was going to cost him ultimately his life. He knew it was the best thing for him to do. I hope you'll start seeing these choices as tests to prove your loyalty and your love and your faith in God. Tests to show that you really believe God. Now let me tell you this in closing. No matter how many times you have failed in the past, you can pass the one coming up. All you have to do is do it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.